It's the Not So Bon Voyage podcast, episode 30. On this week's episode, we talk about getting lost in the middle of the Sahara Desert and getting shot in the face while camping. Grab your 22s and let's roll. And then the train got lost. How does the train get lost when it's on rails? I just want to get out there in the wild. Well, it was in the itinerary. I mean, adventure, it's calling. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been excellent. G'day! G'day! Welcome, Voyagers, to episode 30 of the Not So Bon Voyage podcast, when shit goes wrong on the road and people find themselves getting into some crazy adventures that sometimes they get out of and sometimes they don't. Yeah, we're on the big 3-0 now. 3-0. I was going to say triple digits, but it's not really. It's just 3-0. I'm pretty sure you also said that when it was episode 20. You said, finally hit double digits. Yeah. And everybody was like, that's not how numbers work. Yeah. So but what happens? we're not a math podcast. No, we're not so... a math podcast. What happens when we hit 40? Do I hit f- four digits? I don't know. That's exactly right. That's how we're going to run it. And, you know. That's how it is. I mean, if that's how my math works, then that's that's we're how the we, host, we so you just be, had to deal with it. Yeah, we got to be consistent with that. Okay, so today we are gonna jump straight into the stories because there's not much happening in the news. There's not much happening in updates in our life. There's not much happening in life in general, except for Corona, and we're sick of talking about we're that. We're sick of talking about it. So we've got some really, really, really good stories lined up for you, and we're going to jump into them straight away so you can just, we're not going to fluff about, we're just going to go wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yes, we are. We're going to get straight into it, and we both have really good stories. Well, I think I have a great story, and Jules I think I have alleges. a great story. Yeah, so we're going to, yeah, let us know which one you think is better. Yeah, so if at the end of the episode when you're like, yeah, Jules was was better, you know that you can hit us up on Instagram at Not So Bon Voyage and just say Jules wins. Or you could say that I win because mine was the best ever. Okay. Boom. I am jumping into my story. Christine has the advantage of telling, of hearing hers, no, it's telling hers second. Mm-hmm. So you hear it second, so it's fresh in your mind, but... I think that mine can hold up the test of time. Okay, well, let's see. Let's right. see what this is about. My main story today is called Running Out of Luck. Mm. And there will be points uh, allocated for story titles as well. Okay. My All story right. is called Main Story. <laughs> All righty. You know, Christine loves her titles. I love a good title. My story starts off with a man called Moro Prosperi. And I'm just going to assume that's how you pronounce his name because I couldn't be bothered looking it up. His name is Moro, M-A-U-R-O, Moro. It's Italian. That sounds Um, right. Sounds right. Prosperi. Mr. Prosperi. Oh, I like that. Is that like prosperous? Prosperous, maybe, Mm -hmm. yeah. He was born in Rome. I'm just going to give you a little backstory on him because it pertains to the story ahead. So this is just a quick one, guys. He was born in Rome, Italy in 1955 and grew up like any Italian kid in the 60s and 70s. It, which is just a guess to me because that's where he lived and I'm sure he grew up like a kid in the 60s and 70s. I imagine like luscious, dark, long hair. Olive oil voice. A Vespa. A Vespa. Um, definitely a lot of carbs and uh, drinking wine at a very young age. Sounds amazing, actually. It sounds great. I would love to grow up in Rome in the 60s and 70s. Oh, seriously. Probably start smoking at 12. Yeah. Driving driving one of those tiny cars through those tiny streets. Going to visit Nana in the countryside. Making focaccia. I want bread now. Okay. You get bread. Okay. (laughs) So as he grew up, he became a police officer and he was also a very successful Olympic pentathlon athlete. You go, girl. He was an endurance runner and he would run hundreds of kilometers. And this is a little interesting stat I found out about him. It says that he won gold at the 1984 LA Olympic Games 
in the pentathlon category. And the pentathlon is when you have, for some weird reason, you do five different events at the same time and you get judged on like all of them. At the exact same time? Not at the same time. So you're like sprinting and doing shot put and doing long jump and doing shooting a gun and and shooting shooting a gun. gun at the same time. That is an Olympics game I would like to see. Yes. So the five different events of a pentathlon, just for anybody who's interested, I mean, we're not typically an Olympic history podcast, but we are moving in that direction. So I like it. It's fencing, shooting, Ooh. swimming, riding, and cross-country running. Wow. Which is crazy because it's like you, you're pretty much a badass. Like you're sword fighting, you're shooting guns, and if you ever had to like get away and escape, you could swim away you can ride a horse or you can run. So that you're pretty seems... much like a spy. Those are useful skills, I think. Yes. So it says he won an Olympic gold medal. That's debatable because many different sources. I could not find him on the official Olympic list, but let's move on. In Let's just say that he's a very fit athlete and he's a famous athlete. Like he's um, he's good. He does well. He's probably hot. He's probably He's like this like buff Italian guy. <laughs> With so, his focaccia. With his focaccia. In 1994, he entered a very famous endurance race called the Marathon des Sabals, which means Marathon of the Sands. And it's in Morocco, and it, he was aged 39 at the time. Do you have to run through sand? Because that sounds like a literal nightmare. Like, literally, that was in my nightmares. Well, it is a six-day, 155-mile, which is 250 kilometers, race through the Sahara Desert, and it is described as one of the toughest endurance races there is. Mm. So let's just say he likes to run. Mm. He also says he loves to run because he likes to come in close contact with nature, which, okay. With sand. With sand. Well, he does, other, he does other endurance races, I'm assuming, like he says he ran past mountains and glaciers. and The desert seems like the least hospitable area for running. Yeah, it's soft on the foot. There's lots of sun. It just sounds terrible. Sounds terrible. So Moro is in full training mode. He's running 25 miles a day. He's deliberately dehydrating himself on purpose to get ready for the race. He's doing everything he can to prep himself to travel to Morocco for the mega endurance race. Mega. And I found a really good BBC article, which uh, was actually written by him like an interview. So I'll link to that. That's where I got most of this from. So he says that this race was so risky that you had to sign a waiver um, and you had to indicate where you'd like to have your body sent if you died. (gasps) Wow. Wow, that's how risky it is. I mean, you're out in the desert for six days running, 150 miles. This is so far, far from anything I would like to do that it's really hard for me to comprehend, like wrap my head around this, but okay, well, whatever. Well, first of all, you're like, why? Why? Yeah, that's probably the first question is why. Yeah. But... You know, you we'll know. just go with it. Different strokes with different folks. Mm-hmm. His wife is a little worried, obviously. They've got three young children, but he assures her, the worst that can happen is that I will get a bit sunburned. So what do you hmm. think? Is that, do you think the worst that could happen to him? In the desert, I feel like there's many other things that could happen to him. Dehydration, um, injury, animal eating, animal both eating? getting eaten by animals and eating animals. Um, various other things like this and passing out and dying uh, alone in the desert probably okay. is number one. So Mora arrives in Morocco and he's instantly amazed by the sheer vastness of the desert. So he's like, wow. Get well, get bella. What I imagine is what he said because he's very Italian. <laughs> he said that at the time, so this is back in 1994. So this endurance race at the time, 
only had about 80 people running in the race. So it wasn't as big. It wasn't as trendy and as like fashionable to run endurance races back then, I think. Mm. So he said um, these days it's like thousands of people run that. You basically are all following a path. People walk it. You can pretty much always see that there's somebody there like on track and on trail. Mm-hmm. Where back then there was only 80 people running the race. So wow. often a lot of the time when he was running legs of the race, he was running by himself. Hmm. So back then it was quiet and quite easy to get lost. Oh, wow. So, okay, I didn't think about that, but that's another point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Morris starts the race. He's th- After three days of running, he spends each night camped at checkpoints. So I guess along the way they run certain legs, like maybe they run 50 miles or 40 miles. There's checkpoints along the way where they get given water because they, they are carrying things on their back, but they're not carrying water, but they're carrying other things. Um, and there's checkpoints along the way. And then at the end of the day, you finish at a spot and I guess your time gets logged and then you start again the next time and um, everyone camps in the same spot. So he's camping at the checkpoints. He's bonding with the other runners after a day's grueling trek and he sets off on day four to continue the second half of the race. In the morning, he notices a bit of wind pick up. So it's starting to, Mm. you know, you're out in the desert as well. What's going on with the winds? What else is out there? Sand. Yes. So he I ma- heard about that sand yeah. in the desert. Sand in the desert. Tricky Ever heard sand. of it? <laughs> so he manages to pass a check, a couple of checkpoints at the beginning, and then suddenly a sandstorm whips through, <gasps> and he finds himself just in the middle of this crazy sandstorm, and he just can't see anything. Yeah, and then suddenly realized the root is playing. So good. So he says, and then he finds out that he's a Bernie man, and he's just doing the Bernie man marathon. And he's just—he was actually on LSD the whole time. <laughs> so he says, "This is what he says to quote." He said, "Suddenly, a very violent sandstorm began, and Darude was playing. <laughs> the wind kicked in with a terrifying fury. I was swallowed by a yellow wall of sand. I was blinded. I couldn't breathe. The sand whipped my face. It was like a storm of needles. Ah, that sounds terrible. That sounds really bad." So this sandstorm lasted eight hours. And by the time Whoa. Mora had recovered, so so the sandstorm starts and suddenly he's like, fuck, I've got to like shelter myself. So he's getting whipped in the face with the sand. It's always like smashing him. So he's trying to find his way out, but he just can't see anything and he can't do anything. So he eventually finds a little spot to take shelter in and he just basically has to wait this thing out for eight hours. So by the time he recovers from trying to find shelter and complete blindness, it is dark. Because so he's already set out in the morning running. The sandstorm just completely like takes out the sun, and then by the time it finally settles, it's dark. So he thinks to himself, "I'm just going to kick it here." He finds himself in the sand dunes. So he's oh. like, "I'm I'm just going to kick it here. I'm going to sleep here for the night, and then I'll pick it up tomorrow." Mm-hmm. At this stage, the only thing going through his head is that he's disturbed. So he doesn't think he's very far off the track. He just thinks that the sand has came and disrupted his his run. And so he's only really disappointed at this stage that it's taken him off track and he risks not being able to win the race. Wow. So that's true the main runner, thing. true competitor. So that's the main thing he's thinking about. So he's thinking, all right, tomorrow I'm going to get up, I'm going to crush it, all will be good. He wakes up and he's not too worried about, about feeling lost or anything like that. He's got a map, he's got a compass, but he also has pretty much no idea where he is because everything looks the same. So he has no reference point to go off, to use the map. But you know, he's got it, so there you go. They didn't tie, like, root markers on cactuses or anything? There were checkpoints and markers along the way, but he, in the middle of the sandstorm here, I guess he'd wandered off because he was trying to find shelter because this sand was just 
pummeling his face. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to find shelter and things like that. So he just when the when he finally woke up the next morning, he couldn't see any root markers. Mm -hmm. So he thinks he thinks when he starts off in the morning. So this is day five now. So he thinks at this point he'll probably just bump into another runner. So he continues along the journey and starts running again. After about four hours, he suddenly looks around and he thinks to himself, "Where am I going?" Oh my so god! So he doesn't he doesn't see any checkpoints. He doesn't see any people. He thinks that he's going the right way. But then he thinks to himself, I actually don't really know where I'm going. He would have no idea. I mean, the desert all looks the same. Yeah, and he's been running for four hours and he thinks to himself, oh, damn, shit, I don't know where I am. <laughs> so at this stage, he starts to think about his options and what's next. So he's like, okay, I'm in the desert. I could potentially be lost there. I could potentially be off track. I don't know where I am. I've got to start thinking survival. Mm. So he needs to pee. So rather okay. than peeing, he thinks to himself, I might need that water. So remember that he's not carrying that much water with him because mm -hmm. they would get water along in the checkpoints. Mm -hmm. He does have a backpack that has a knife, a compass, a sleeping bag, dehydrated food, but he doesn't have water because mm. that's the thing that they would give him. So he thinks to himself, I might need this pee. So he takes oh. one of his water bottles and he pisses into a water bottle. Very smart. And he thinks to himself, my pee right now will be less, no, more diluted, less mm -hmm. diluted. It'll more be better. Diluted. It'll be better pee, basically. It's better. If you're going to judge pee, it'll be the better pee to take than later on. Yes. And, but he's only got, so he's only got half a bottle of water. Now he is uh, walking around in the desert trying to relocate where he is, and he's a couple of days into being lost. Oh, my God. He's rationing half a bottle of water. That's how much. Does he have any food? He has dehydrated food, so he's not that. Oh, okay, he's okay. not too bad at, on, food, on the food front at this stage, but he has no water. Oh, and he's and in he's, the desert. He's in the Sahara Desert. If there's any place you need water, it's the desert. That's a great observation. Thank you. He's still pretty calm and confident at this stage because he thinks that the race organizers... So obviously that first night when he didn't check in, they would have realized that he was missing. So they think the race organizers, they obviously know that he's missing and they're going to be out there looking for him. So he keeps... I guess he's... I'm not really sure what he's doing, but he's walking at some stage. He's walking or he's trying to find a direction, but he's basically he's on the move. And at some stage in a couple of days in, he finds an old Muslim shrine literally in the middle of nowhere... That was a tomb to some holy man. Wow. And it was also used as a stopping point for local desert nomads as they crossed the Sahara. Oh. So I saw a picture of it. It was just kind of three old, shitty, ramshackled kind of stone buildings in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And one of them was a shrine to this holy person. They don't really say much about that. So at least he's got shelter now from the sun. So he goes in there and he's thinking, all right, I'm just going to hang out here for a bit and hopefully someone will find me. <laughs> so he's sheltered from the sun at least. He cooks some dehydrated food. With, oh, you like cook it in the sun or something? Uh, no, I guess he made a fire. Oh. He Now, but he didn't have water. So how did he cook the dehydrated food? I That's a great question because usually you like add water. You add right? water. Oh, no. So, he didn't. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, geez. He cooked some dehydrated food with the urine that he was saving and on the fourth day, he also started drinking his own urine. What kind of food was that, does it say? It was astronaut ice cream. No, I, don't know. <laughs> I feel like that would make a difference. Like if it's like ramen, 
I feel like that could be okay. It's already salty. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. already yellow. Yeah. I feel like that would be better than if it was like a dehydrated. If you had to like, cook one food with your own urine, what would you cook? I would cook probably ramen. Ramen. Would you add things to it or would you just, just have strictly just noodles and piss water? Well, if I had things, like if I had some spring onions and like a hard-boiled egg, I'd probably throw that in there. Soft-boiled, yeah. I don't know. Soft-boiled, yeah. Something like that. Okay. A little uh, red chili chili flakes on top. Yeah, I think ramen's you know? a pretty good choice if you had to cook something with urine. Thank you. Mm. The urine chef. The urine, the urine chef. That mm. could actually be a pretty good survival TM. book. Oh, Trademark. You've already taken it? Yeah, sorry. You can have yeah. Chef Pee Pee. Chef BP. That could be yours. I'll let you trademark that. Okay. And give that to your friend for free. We can compete. <laughs> okay. It's like Iron P Chef. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. You can have the rights to that. I will not give up animation rights though. Okay. In the shelter, he also found, so he said that sand had blown in. So it was like the roof level was very short because he had to kind of crawl into it. And so he saw in the roof that it was also a bunch of bats in the roof <gasps> and he ate them. Oh. <gasps> And that's how coronavirus started. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this is how he actually describes it, if you want to hear the details. so Not he see- really. No, oh, I'm going to have to share it. It's part of the story. It's an integral part of okay. it because it's it's the main headline. You know, he drinks pee and he eats bats. Oh. So he says he sees these bats in the roof and he thinks to himself, I decided to drink their blood. Ah. I grabbed a handful of bats, cut their heads off and mushed up their insides with a knife, then sucked them out. I ate at least 20 of them raw. I only did what they do to their prey. What the F? I mean, come on. You are stranded in the middle of the Sahara Desert. You find a bat. You're going to eat it. I guess. And then you're going to get coronavirus. their blood? That seems really intense way to put that. Yeah. It's not like I ate their flesh for sustenance. He's or like, just, I drank their blood. Or just, I ate the bats. You yeah, could just exactly. say that. You could just say, ate a bat. Yeah, leave it at that. We don't need the details. Yeah, and he ate a bat, and now I can't go out and see my friends anymore. Yeah, well, there you go. Thanks, Moro. So <laughs> he stayed there for a few days hoping someone would find him. And at one stage, he said he heard a plane overhead, and he tried to make a fire. So he ran outside, and he figured that plane was probably looking for him. And he ran outside and tried to make a signal, but a sandstorm whipped through at the same <gasps> time, and it wasn't able to see anything. And then that's when reality starts to kick in and he thinks, ah, I'm in a pretty bad situation right now. Nobody's found me. I'm out here. I I think I could die out here. That sand is like his mortal enemy. I feel like he will never go to the beach again. Oh, well. He's like, damn you, Plaza. Damn you. So at this point, he starts to think about his wife and his family. And he actually says that he was thinking pretty logically at the time because he thinks to himself, well, if I die in the desert, I'm never going to be found. And if my body isn't found, then it takes 10 years for my wife to claim my police pension. Whoa. So if I That's stay... That's a long time. Yeah. So if you're reported missing, so he would never technically be declared dead because they didn't find a body, so he would be declared missing. Mm. And they can't officially declare you dead until 10 years later. So he's mm. actually starting to think about this logically and he thinks... But if I stay here and die, I'm I'm, uh, much more likely that someone will find me. And then, you know, there you go. There you go. And then she gets the pension. And then she gets the pension. But he also thinks to himself, I don't want to die starving to death, waiting for it to take days, for death to take days to take him. Okay. So he figures he would beat death to it and he would beat it to the long game by cutting his wrist with a knife that he had. This is depressing? Dark? Yes, it got a little bit dark. Just for a second. 
So he lays down that night thinking uh, he cuts his wrist and he thinks that he will slowly start to pass away. But little to be known tomorrow. Wait, he, sorry, he actually did cut his so wrist? He, so he cut his wrist. So oh, he, wow. So basically he thinks, I don't want to starve to death. I'm, I'm going to be fucked. I don't want to starve. I've got to kill myself. Mm. So he takes out his knife. He cuts his wrist. He goes to sleep that night and he thinks, goodbye, cruel world. Mm-hmm. But little to be known tomorrow was that he was so dehydrated that his blood had really thickened. Now, I didn't know about this, Whoa. but when you're dehydrated, your blood thickens because I guess it doesn't have the viscosity to run through your bla- your brains. <laughs> it doesn't have the viscosity to run through your veins, so he couldn't bleed out. So all it did was clot. Whoa, Whoa so that's he, so interesting. So he woke up in the morning very much alive. Huh. And he was like, huh, I'm alive. But suddenly he had this spur of inspiration. He was up and about and he thought, all right, I can do this. Woo. So he decided – so I don't really make sense because he does He does have this sort of vision that if he dies in the desert, his wife doesn't get the pension. That's why he tried to kill himself. But then he suddenly decides, I'm going to leave the shrine. Mm. So he starts heading out towards the direction. So some old Berber nomad, you know the Berbers, mm-hmm. the nomads that live in the Sahara Desert, he remembers one of them telling him that – you should follow the direction that the clouds are in the dawn. Even if the Whoa. even if the clouds disappear uh, during the day, they get burnt out by the sun. Find out which way they were in the morning and follow them. That so sounds sa- like a mystic riddle. Yeah, so he starts to do that. He sets his compass. Remember, he's got a compass, so he just starts going. So he's walking for days in the desert. Along the way, he finds <sighs> snakes and lizards, and he kills them and eats them raw. He's mm. starting to get a bit of energy back, and he's like, all right, He's really got a taste for blood now. He focuses all his energy, his experience, his training. He's pushing forward. He's carrying on. He found roots of succulents and squeezed them out like cactuses. He got some liquid there. Smart. And he's just looking for any traces of life. On On the eighth day, so he's been out there for eight days now. Wow. He finds a small oasis and he said that he just laid down and he slowly drank water for six to seven hours. Just laid down on the floor and just like slowly drank it, just trying to replenish himself. Wow! He said he Can also, you imagine going and finding a real oasis? That seems and that like wasn't, such a that movie. That wasn't like a fake one. It's not like a mirage. Yeah, or like a movie set. <laughs> so he also said he saw a footprint, so he knew something. Someone must have been close by. On day nine, so he's got replenished fluids. He's all good. He sees a goat, and then he also saw a young girl, and he was like. I'm oh gonna my eat god! I might eat that girl. I'm gonna eat that goat. Wait a sec! I'm gonna eat that girl. She looks tasty. So the he was stoked, but the girl not so much. So she, I mean, imagine this guy crawls out of the desert and he's yeah. So got she's like, blo- ah, like what the blood fuck? and yeah, and bat bat intestines hanging off his face. Ew. So he follows her to a series of Berber tents that are set up somewhere, and he comes in contact with the people that are living there. It's the first time he's seen civilization or somewhat some version of it, in nine days. And the wow. women in the camp help him, uh, I guess because of the Muslim like or like local traditions or something like that, he's not actually allowed to enter the tent without oh. a man present. All the men are at the market. But the women, oh. are ve- he says the women were very kind, very helpful. Mm. They fed him uh, goat milk mm. and they helped him. They put him in the shade. They set him up and they sent someone off to go and alert the police that this guy had showed up. He said he couldn't eat anything because his body was so beat up mm. after being so dehydrated, like, you know, his liver and his kidneys and uh. like everything was just completely screwed. Mm. So the police show up and rather than rescuing, like a rescuing welcome, they have no idea who this guy is. He's mm. just like showed up. So they blindfold him. <gasps> They've got guns. They take him away in a Jeep because they don't know who this guy is. 
And then after a little while, they realize that he's actually the guy who uh, had been lost. Mm. And then they're, then they're they celebrating. Put it together. Then they put it together <laughs> and then they're, yay, like we found him, we found him. Turns out he had ran 181 miles, approximately 290 kilometers off course, <gasps> and was now in Algeria. What? He went across the border? He went across the border. That's crazy. Almost 200 miles, 300 Ks, and he was in Algeria. And they took him to the hospital, and after 10 days missing, he was finally able to make contact with his wife and let them know that everything was okay. And he said that the first thing that he said to his wife was, have you already had my funeral? Because after 10 days lost in the desert, you would expect someone to be dead. That's true. She's like, I already got the pension. I got the pension. I'm good. And uh, I'm leaving you. Yeah, bye. Well, I mean, I'm getting to it, but she actually did eventually leave him. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) Well, he said that they actually, let me continue and then I'll get to to the end. So he, during those 10 days, he had lost 35 pounds Mm. and 16 kilos. And now, so he must have been pretty thin anyway, because he only weighed 99 pounds. Wow. 45 kilos when they found him. And his recovery took ages. He couldn't eat anything solid for months because <gasps> he just was so destroyed it's on the inside. Organ he could only, failure. Yeah, he could only eat liquid food and soup. And he said that his actual recovery took him like two years to recover properly from it. But that didn't stop him. He went back four years later and completed the race. Wow. And he continues to run like insane endurance races across the desert. I always find that so interesting when people go back to the site of the incident where they had this super traumatic experience. It's like the people we were talking about the other day who were on the previous episode who hiked the big mountain in New Zealand and they got caught in the ice cave and then they went back later and redid it. So I think that's so interesting. I mean, good for them. I don't know. I feel like I'd be too traumatized to go back. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our stories end up where somebody set out to do a mission and then something happened, obviously terrible, and then they think to themselves, I need to finish that. Mm. I don't know. I feel like there's something there. Mm. The human spirit perseveres. Mm. But as a follow-up, I did read that in the end, his well, he says that him and his wife separated, which is kind of irrelevant to the story, but it was just good to know. But they they remain very close and that they're actually probably closer now than they were. And she just I think she probably just couldn't put up with his crazy His liquid diet. His liquid diet. She's like, I can't how do I cook I no I want more soup. I can't put any more pasta in the blender. Like Seriously. No, I think that uh he just he's one of those guys, I guess, that just has that crazy mindset that he has mm. to live life on the edge and do things like that. So yeah. He, yeah, he and he's with someone else, and that's hmm. the end of the story. <laughs> wow, that's a plot twist. There you go, but he survived, which is insane. And I did find out, I haven't actually seen it, but there is a series on Netflix called Losers, which sounds pretty harsh, but I think it's to do with people who fail at the, like crazy attempts, or I don't know. It's it's a series on Netflix called Losers, and one of the episodes is about him. Ooh, I'll have to watch it. I don't think it's like you're a loser because you didn't do it. I think loser it, seems like a very harsh term for yeah. somebody who didn't complete a crazy race in the middle of the desert. And and survived 10 days in Sahara and then decide to go back later on and do it. Yeah. It's more like a winner, but... Yeah, or like a neutral. 
kind neutral, of situation. yeah. I guess when they sort of flashed that um, past the, the uh, Netflix production team, neutrals just didn't really have the same ring to it. Didn't ring the bell for us, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, that story wow, that story took a, longer than I thought. That is a crazy story. All right. We Thank better you jump. for telling me that. No worries. We better get straight into yours because well, there we go. It. So before I start my story, I'm going to give a little pre-warning in that I, like many women nowadays, am very into the true crime movement. And so I listen to podcasts and, you know, watch TV shows and stuff. So this story is a true crime travel story. So I'm blending my passions, if you will. Okay. But it is darker than the average story that we tell on this podcast, I would say, and it's a bit more violent. So putting that out there, it's not too crazy, but... You know, in case you're very sensitive. Okay. Turn. I'm sure they'll be fine. The I Voyages, think you'll be fine. The Voyagers have heard a lot worse. We kind of give disclaimers sometimes, which is which is good, but we've heard worse. It's more of a creepy story. It's not a brutal. Okay. So I... Is it like Slenderman? Oh my God, no. You know I hate that. Why would you bring that up? It's so creepy. Slenderman's going to get you. Jules is so mean. So Okay, I, that makes me sound like I'm a torturer now. You are a torturer. I live in a house of tortures. Um, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Blink twice if you need help. Say, tell the people you're fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Okay, so I got most of this story, uh, most of this information from an article, Washington Post article called Lonely, Dark, and Deep by Will Haygood. Uh, also an episode of a show called Dead Silent, which oh, is a That's what you were doing for so long. You're watching TV. Yeah, I was actually up here researching it, watching that show, but I got so freaked out because I was is alone. Is that why you it, came down? That's why I came down. Because my up here, my our desk is facing the window, so my back is to the door. Oh so any murderer could come in at any time and murder me. So Yes. And, I mean, we know that these suburbs are very dangerous. It's always a place you least expect it. So okay. we'll just go with that so i so had you, to come. you came downstairs and you said you missed me yes i did miss you as my protection from the murderers okay so i came downstairs and worked near jewels just in case hey, you didn't tell me that part all right <laughs> and let's then continue. this is also from a podcast my favorite murder um their episode 125 so this is a two-part story. The first part is very short but if it's it's kind of a background in may of 1981 Two young social workers, Robert Mountford Jr. and Susan Ramsey, are hiking the Appalachian Trail. Robbie and Susie. Robbie and Susie are hiking the Appalachian Trail near Giles County in Virginia. You know the Appalachian Trail? It's like one of those trails that people do, like multi Yeah, isn't that what... um, Wait, what's that? Don't tell me. Everybody has to wait for me to think. Oh, Reese with a spoon. She got a backpack. What's the? What's it called? Wild. Wild. Is it about? Is that where she is in Wild? No, that was the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, okay. It's this similar. This is Appalachian. This is very like similar. Virginia Southern mountains. Yep. I don't I know think much they're about both it. mountains, but yeah. Okay. Well, it's it. one, but it's very similar. Like you camp along the way and you do different stops got or whatever. You. It sounds you, awesome. You honestly. write a memoir, you become famous. Okay. Got it. Exactly. So they're on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. It's very remote, very peaceful, um, like along a creek, beautiful trees. It's the kind of place you get super relaxed and you tend to let your guard down. Mm-hmm. So you're just surrounded by nature. All right. So as they're walking, they come across another young hiker who says he can help them look for arrowheads. 
And he walks with them for a bit. and For they, arrowheads. Arrowheads. Do like you, the head of an arrow. Oh, you don't know about arrowheads? No. Oh, my God. That's so funny. That must be such a, a United States, maybe like North American thing. So arrowheads are these like they're carved out of this black stone and they're from like the Indian days. And kids usually look for them. Are they actually real arrowheads? I I don't actually don't know, but that's what they're called. But they're they're filed down to be sharp. So, so I guess possibly, yeah. So you probably. would assume that they're probably real arrowheads. You would think so. That okay. actually makes sense. The head of an arrow. Got it. Got it. So he walks with them for a bit, and then they end up sitting down to have a fire together, which is not unusual. Usually, like you're walking and you pick people up and you get chatting and you tell stories around you the hook fire. Up with them. I mean, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows out there? It's lonely. You know, no judgment. Yeah. So we are not sure if he shares a campsite with them or if he leaves at some point. Um, but later when the two are sleeping, this is probably the most gruesome part of the story. So I'm just going to run through it real quick. Go but hit the, me with it. The third, this third guy comes back. He shoots Robert Mountford Jr. in the head. And then Whoa. he gets into a scuffle with Susan Ramsey and ends up killing her as well. So they both pass away okay. tragically. Murdered. So the story's done there. No. So Uh-oh. the bodies aren't found for weeks, um, and afterwards, like the whole Virginia section of the Appalachian Trail was shut down, and they had a big investigation. People were really freaked out, obviously, and they end up finding evidence that traces it back to a young local man named Randall Lee Smith. They get a warrant to search Fucking his home. Randy. And they find evidence in his home, his mom's home. He loves his mama. Hey, no judgment. We're no with judgment. my parents right now, too. We're not all serial Qu- killers. Quarantine life. Quarantine life. Lockdown life. I'm saving life. the world by being in lockdown right now. So yeah. Just- We're not at spring break in Florida, you guys. So don't judge us for living with my parents. So he gets arrested and he's sentenced to 30 years in jail. But American judicial system, gotta love it. He gets paroled after 15 years. Uh, look, I feel like he's really rehabilitated. He's done his time. He's fine. And he's fine. He really should just have a chance to uh, go and kill again. Yeah, I mean, it's only a double murder. It's not mm. like a triple murder yeah. or a quadruple murder. Triple figures. <laughs> triple figures. 30, the big three O. So that is the first part of the story. So that was uh, May of 1981. So Randy kills Bobby and Susie in 91. For everybody, 81. 1981, and he's let off. Yes. Got it. I'm with you so, so far. Okay, so now we're fast-forwarding to May 6th of 2008. Okay, so we're fast-forwarding... To, oh, fuck, I hate math. 17 20, years? 20, 27 years. 27 years. 27 years. Math is a crazy thing. So now uh, we're with Scott Johnston. We're literally with him. Picture in your head. He is here with us. <laughs> um, he's 39. Can I imagine what he looks like? He, okay. He's 39. Is he 39? He's 39. Wow. <laughs> he looks 39. He looks 39. Eh, he looks like he's had a hard life and he could possibly look like, you know, if he had a good shave and a proper haircut, maybe dyed the, the grays out of his beard, he could look a good 34, but he's he looks every bit of his age. Um, he did, according to the reenactment video, he does not have any facial hair uh, and he actually looks young, but that could be that they just didn't find an actor that was the right age. They just, they couldn't find any that really envisioned Scott. Yeah, okay. Which is fine. <laughs> well, we can move on from that. So Scott is 39 and he's heading on a camping trip at Dismal Creek on the Appalachian Trail. 
So it doesn't sound very nice, <laughs> but it sounds dismal. It sounds dismal, but it's really beautiful and it's a perfect place to camp and fish. It's very isolated, very quiet, really lovely. And he's meeting his friend Sean Farmer, who is thirty three, okay. and they've camped and there a it. few times. And looks at yeah, he he looks like a little bit older to me, but Ooh. whatever. Bad um, casting. Yeah, exactly. So when so Scott arrives first, um, Sean is still coming in from the city, or you know he's got. He's plans. a young buck. He's a young buck. He's, he's probably think, maybe he's going up for happy hour after drinks yeah, he after was work. Up. He might have been catching up with a girl. Yeah, he had a hinge date. You know, whatever. So Scott arrives first, and he sees a dog. It's super skinny. It looks like it's starving, basically. And then he spots a man walking up from the creek bank. This man is gaunt. And do you know what that means? Yes, I know what it means. Okay, just checking. And he's wearing... stupid. He's wearing camo, which always freaks me out. Even if someone's wearing it in the wilderness, I'm like, no, don't wear camo. I mean, what if someone's wearing it like Walmart? Okay, well, everybody at Walmart wears camo. Yeah. And that then seems very normal. They'll probably shoot you as well. Probably. But some something about camo just freaks me out. So Because you know that person most definitely is carrying a gun. That's true. And we don't know what he's going to do with it until we listen to the rest of the story. So this dude makes a beeline for Scott's truck and then starts kind of like babbling at him about there's there aren't any fish in the creek and he hasn't caught any... And Scott is like, this dude looks really skinny, like maybe he's living in the forest or something. Um, so he ends up giving the guy a few trout because he's just been fishing. And the man, it's very nice of him. I know, isn't it? This Scott's a very nice young man. Hmm. We're a team Scott. Well, mid- middle-aged. Oh, he's a he's nice... 39. Is 39 middle-aged? I don't what, know. What's the cutoff? Um, I always thought like 45. I mean, okay. if you think about it, people are living to be like 100. So what so. are you at 39? Just an adult... You're an adult. You're not a young You're adult. Definitely not a child. No. You're de- not a young adult. You're not reading YA fiction. You're just an adult. You're just an adult. You're like normal yeah. adultness. I'd like to think I'm still You're a young adulting. Mm, okay. Whatever mm. makes you sleep at night. <laughs> so the man seems super grateful and asks Scott if he's planning on camping nearby. Scott says he's waiting for his friend, but they're camping up the road. The man says he happens to be camping about a mile or so beyond where Scott pointed. Okay. Um, And he says he might stop by his site later, and Scott's like, okay, whatever. So later that afternoon... I mean to the ladies, man. Just relax. Yeah, seriously. I mean, yeah, it could be a hookup spot. We don't know. Come to the public toilet block (laughs) on the corner of uh, that big tree and the lake, and uh, if there's a hole, just... For a good time. There's a hole, just do whatever you think you might want to do. Well, there you go. No judgment. We don't kink shame. Later that afternoon, Sean arrives. He's done with his Bumble date. He's had his happy hour drinks. He's ready for some wilderness time. Um, And Scott's out getting firewood. Sean's setting up his tent when a guy in camo walks up. With trout and says... And Let's have he's a like, he's like, oh, are you Sean? Because Scott said he'd be meeting you. Um, I met him earlier, and he said we could, I could join you guys for supper. Like, my name is Ricky Williams. So Sean's like, okay, well, he knows Scott, so like, I feel pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. Then Scott comes back. Uh, they make dinner around the campfire. Uh, this guy's like telling them kind of fantastical stories about his life that he like writes papers for NASA and all this stuff. Tri- oh, tricky Ricky. Tricky Ricky. Tricky Ricky's at it again. Yep. 
And they kind of take pity on him and they think he might be like an alcoholic because he looks really gaunt. Mm. And, and he kind of sounds like a bit of a crackpot as well. Yeah, he sounds like a bit of a nut and he's like clearly lying and he looks like he's been living in the wilderness. So like this dude's kind of whack, but we probably whack. get him some food. They even cook a whack. trout for the dog, which is very nice. Mm. I like that. So it starts to get dark, and the guys are like, okay, why isn't this dude, like, going back to his campsite? He's like, get out of here. Like, yeah. Come on, Ricky. You've had come your time. On. Like, take we gave a, you some fish. Read the room. Yeah. Read the campsite. Read the social cues. So finally, he calls his dog to leave. So Ricky gets up. He walks. Well, like, he calls it, and he's like, hey. He's like, Let's go. You know I can't whistle. Yeah. No. <laughs> Did you just say that just to show no, everybody no, no. they can't whistle? I just wanted whistle? to see if you could do it. I'll edit, I'll edit it in. Please edit in a whistle because that would be great. <whistles> Thank you. Wait, you do it and I'll pretend like we do. <whistles> I feel like that worked. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so Ricky gets up. Tricky Ricky gets up. He walks bes- like around them. He walks behind them like he's m- going back to his campsite. But instead, he just walks behind them, pulls out his twenty-two. Aims it point point blank at the back of Sean's head and pulls the trigger. Whoa. Yeah. So this guy's fucked up. So the bullet hits Sean's left temple. Sean is disoriented. He can't see out of his left eye, but he looks up to see what he interprets as fire coming out of Ricky's hand. And then he realizes that he's then shot Scott in the neck. Then Ricky turns back to Sean. And Scott doesn't seem like a very good shot considering he's doing point blank. Well, I mean, he hits them. Yeah. So <laughs> Ricky then turns back to Sean and shoots him point blank in the chest. Okay. Okay, so Sean is a big dude. I don't know what you were picturing with him, but he's 6'4". I was thinking of Sean Austin from... Uh, Sean Astin? Sean Astin, From yeah. The Hobbit? Yeah, and from The Goonies. Um, well, in The Goonies, Sean Astin was very small. But That's that, true. He was also young. He was like... 15 or something so this guy's six four shauna Aston's probably like five four (laughs) he's very small he's a hobbit (laughs) he is a hobbit i mean it's not their fault they live in middle earth they have those okay so he's tall so he's a big dude he's six four and he's 325 pounds oh he's he's a thicky he's a thicky he's a thicky thick with two c's so he gets shot in the chest he stumbles but he doesn't fall scott then uh, who's been shot in the neck, turns and runs into the woods, and Ricky shoots him again in the back. Okay. Well, I'm not a gun expert, but a 22 is a very small bullet. Yes, that's true. So you can be shot with a 22. Is it 22 millimeters? Uh, I don't really... I, maybe. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I just know that 50 Cent was shot with a 22. That's how oh. we shot... That's how we shot... I think... Okay, I'm... I'm pretty Here sure he go. was. Here we go. Let's go. Now okay. we need our history, our hip-hop history. Well, he was shot nine times, and that's why he walks with a limp. That's what he says in the song. I heard about that. No, no, but because if you get shot with a twenty-two, it's not a super damaging gun. It's like mm. a pop, 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 pop. Yes, that is I would still that's prefer, an integra- integral part. I would still prefer not to be shot with a twenty-two. Uh Yes. But if you're going to choose a gun, besides like a BB gun, that's probably one of the better choices. Yes. So, Sean who has been shot in the head and the chest, remembers his keys are in the Jeep and it's backed into the campsite. So all he has to do is get in the car, turn the ignition and jam on the gas to get out of there. 
So he runs over to the car. He starts to turn it on as Ricky walks up to the passenger side window, which is, of course, rolled down because this is a horror movie. And he points the gun at his head. As Sean is putting the car in drive, Ricky pulls the trigger. And it doesn't go off. Oh, sucks shit, Ricky. He's out of bullets. Oh, man. I don't know how many bullets are in a twenty-two, but it seems he seems to be out. Fifty Cent was shot by a nine millimeter, by the way, which seems even smaller. So maybe it's like a lady's. It's probably gun. bigger. It's like a lady's gun. <laughs> it's the lady's gun. It comes in pink. Yeah. But anyway, scented bullets. So he's out of bullets. He's out of bullets. Ooh. Homie's out of bullets. So this is where you turn around and you. So as Ricky back. is reloading, Sean floors it. He screeches onto the road. He has no idea if Scott is alive or not. He just knows he needs to get out of there and get help. So he's like, boom. Meanwhile, Scott is hiding in the trees trying to escape. So he's shot in both the back and the neck. The bullet hole in the neck is squirting blood. Ooh, maybe it hit him in the aorta. In the aorta? Yeah. Is that in your neck? Yeah, your aorta, isn't it? That's the big one in your neck. Oh, I thought that was just in your heart. Or does it go? I guess it goes from your heart to your neck. Uh, All roads lead back to the heart, right? Uh, I mean, when it comes to your veins, everybody that sounds like knows a country that. song. All oh, roads ve- lead back to your heart. All oh, veins lead back to your heart as well. <laughs> anatomy. <laughs> this is now an anatomy podcast. As when we never claim to be medical. Everything that we say cannot be backed up by a doctor. Yeah, don't sue us. So he knows that he's losing blood dangerously fast. So he has to put his finger in the bullet hole in his neck to keep it from bleeding. I mean, if it did hit the main one in his neck, you would bleed out very quickly. Mm -hmm. Like very quickly. So it's possible he did not hit the main artery. Oh, no. I mean, like, who knows? But I'm just saying, like, you would be bleeding. Either way, you'd be bleeding a shit ton if you got shot in the neck. Yeah, they were saying, my favorite murder was saying that because, like, your how your heart pumps, it could be like like literally sprouting blood. Sprouting blood? Spitting blood? Spurting? It's coming out. Spurting, spurting blood. Mm. It's spurting everywhere. I mean, that makes sense that it would be like passing through in like spurts. It would be like... Yeah, because of your pulse. Yeah. Right. Ugh. Especially if your heart's beating really fast. You're like dun, 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 dun. So it'd be like... Pew, 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 pew. Yes. Ugh. So... Scott had seen Sean get in the car, and he knows that if he doesn't meet him on the road to get into the car, he's probably going to die in the forest. So he starts running through the dense brush, pushing his way through bushes, branches, in one the dark. Handed, with one hand in his neck. With one <laughs> hand in his freaking neck, running to the road. Damn. He, no Is idea, Tricky Ricky running after him? No idea of the guys running after him. What's happening? He's like completely disoriented. He comes out of the trees and sees the lights of Sean's Jeep oh, coming man. toward him on the road. Thank God. Sean pulls over and Scott flings the door open and jumps in. So he's in the car now. They're both in the car, but they have a very narrow and treacherous drive to the main road. So this is like a dirt mountain. You know, like when we go camping in the van and we like end up on those, you know, mountain yeah, yeah, roads yeah. that are really sketchy. Bumpy and like holes and rocks sticking out. And you can't totally. go too fast because it's like do 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 Although you'd be like, you'd be like a rally car driver to get in the way from that guy. For sure. Like NASCAR to the max. You're like, fuck the suspension. Boom, 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 boom. There are 10 to 20 foot drop-offs in some parts. 
Okay, so maybe you'd be taking it a little bit easier. And they're driving with multiple gunshot wounds. I mean, the man who's driving, Sean, he was shot in the head. He can't see out of his left eye. He has a, a ringing sound in his head. I'm surprised. He, yeah, that's it's so crazy that you can be shot in the head mm-hmm. and survive. I mean, I know you can. Like, There's many parts of your brain that can be fine. But for it to even go in partly into your head... Like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, you think head would just be game over, yeah. like anywhere on your head. But maybe not like your jaw, but near your brain, like temple? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Mm. I mean, and we're not an anatomy podcast. And also, you'd be bleeding a lot. Yes. So they try to call the police, but they have no service. Then Sean... Sean also has no ear. Sean yeah. has no ear. I think he has an ear. It's yeah. not like a Mike Tyson situation. <laughs> <laughs> but he definitely is not able to hear and he can't see out of one eye. So it's not he's not in good shape. Nobody's happy here. It's not a good look. Mm. So then Sean asks Scott where his car keys are. And Scott replies, they're in the truck back at the campsite. So now but they're what? but they've already got a car. They have a car, but his oh. back with the murderer. So now they have to worry about the murderer getting into Scott's truck and catching up with them with a reloaded gun. Ooh. So extra level of Okay, because this guy needs to seal the deal. This guy is coming back for more. He, he needs seems to. like a nut. Yeah, and they still have no idea why he went on this rampage. Because they said when case. he came up to them and did, started the shooting, he had a blank stare. He didn't say anything. He didn't look angry. It was like no emotion. He just shot. So he's a sociopath. So he's probably a psychopath. Yeah. I mean, we're not a psychology podcast, but But we could be one. But we're passing judgment. We we pass judgment on... analysis, analysis. And we pass analysis on uh, serial killers. Yeah. I'm the analysis. Christine is the therapist together. The analyst. Yes. So they are barreling down the mountain. At some point, they take a turn too fast, and they hit an embankment. Uh, Sean blacks out, and the car stops. A bunch of rocks kick up, and they crack the windshield. So now Scott's Sean. Sorry, Sean blacks out. Did I say that? Uh, I've I've lost I've lost track of who Sean and Scott are. I know. I I had that problem when I was writing this out. Sean and Scott are so similar names, but basically, Sean's the big dude. He got shot in the head. Call him Scott, Biggie. Biggie Sean. Biggie Sean. <gasps> Oh, no, Sean Combs, that's um, P. Diddy. Okay, I'll call him Biggie. So Biggie blacks out, and they stop the car. Sean, Scott's like, dude, we have to go. We're going to die. Like, we cannot stay here. Sean can barely... Okay, sorry, I, I can't do Biggie. It's too confusing. Okay. <laughs> okay, Sean is the big guy who got shot in the head. Scott is the guy with the finger in the neck. Okay, okay. Nicky and Biggie. So Sean can barely see. So they I don't think it matters at this point if we know who's who. It doesn't matter who's who. They're on the run from a guy who just shot them in the face and then in the head. So let's go. Let's cruise. So they decide that Sean will do the pedals of the car and Scott will steer with one arm while holding his bullet wound with the other arm. So together, two people, they two damaged people formed one mega person. Well, maybe not one mega person. They just joined one normal person. But I mean, barely a normal person. They're both losing blood at a very alarming rate. So they end up driving about a mile on the dirt road and then five miles on the paved road before they start seeing houses on the right. Scott, they pull the Thank car over. God. Yeah. Scott runs up to the house and starts banging on the door saying, call 911. We've been shot. 
So the person in the house is Melissa Miller. She's sitting in her house, minding her own damn business, when these two men are on her porch or one guy's car. Completely soaked in blood, they would be. And this is nighttime, too. So they're like, she's like, what in she's, the- They're actually lucky they didn't get shot. Well, probably, yeah, exactly. So she worries that it's a home invasion and is like, I'm not going to answer the door. Like, or, or she thinks that like these are two guys who like got in a bar fight or something and shot each other. And she's like, I do not want to get I mean, involved. if two guys showed up to your door completely soaked in blood, one guy's got his finger in his neck as blood starts spurting out. The other guy's got a hole in his head and there's just blood everywhere. You'd be like, eh, not today. Right. So if someone, but if you were losing blood like that and somebody didn't answer and didn't call police, you could die. Yes. Luckily for them, Melissa recognizes Sean because one of her friends had actually dated him. Whoa. So thank hell that that she recognized him because otherwise hell. what would have happened? We don't know. So I mean, she they probably would have died. You know, yeah, probably. So she sees they have been shot. She gets her son out on the porch. They get towels. They keep them from losing too much blood um, while they call the police. It takes over 20 minutes for police and paramedics to arrive because they're kind of like out Where in the middle of nowhere. A- Appalachian area of Virginia. Virginia, okay. Yeah, so it's like south, you know, yeah, middle yeah, yeah. of nowhere kind of stuff. So all this time, they have no idea if Ricky's going to pull up in Sean's truck at any moment and, like, shoot all of them, right? So the cops eventually arrive before the ambulance, and they ask Scott for a description of who shot them. While he's giving them a description, Melissa, who's the homeowner, her father who lives in the house, hears the description, and he's like, yo, I know who that is. That is Randall Lee Smith. He's, like, lives nearby. Old so, Randy's Ricky. Old Randy. Tricky Ricky Randy. Tricky Pandy. Ricky Randy. <laughs> exactly. So he tells Melissa's son, who's his grandson, to run down to the grocery store and get the missing poster for Randall Lee Smith because he had actually gone missing uh, like f- five days earlier or something. And they printed these oh. posters. And so the kid runs down there, gets the shop owner to open the store, gets the poster, comes back. And just as Scott is being loaded into the ambulance, he shows him the poster and Scott goes, I am 100% sure that is the man that shot us. Whoa. So old Randy, he's back at it again. Yeah, he got out of jail and then killed people, tried to kill people again. What the fuck's this guy's deal? Well, he's not very nice. No, he's not. So they both get airlifted to a trauma center. So this part is kind of nuts. So Scott is in the helicopter, and he hears a lady say on the radio, I don't think he's going to make it. I no longer have a pulse. And then he realizes he can't feel his body, and he realizes she's talking about him, and he thinks he's already dead. Oh. When they land at the hospital. That is a very scary thing to have. Can you imagine, like, you're like, I can't feel my body I she said I don't have a pulse like that's bananas damn so they landed the hospital it, he gets a blast of cold air that hits him and he says at that moment he knows he's alive both Sean and Scott are treated at the hospital and they both survive which is crazy damn you get shot in the neck you get shot in the head the chest the back and wait so long to get that uh yeah fixed so one guy <laughs> shot so one guy shot in the head 
and the chest, and the other guy shot in the neck and the back. Yes. Fucking hell. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And they both survived. They both survived. They're totally With Tricky fine. Ricky on the run. Tricky Ricky's on the run. So then they do an, an EPB out for Randall Lee Smith, because they figured out that's and him. Everyone, and because obviously I know what an EPB is, but for other people, what does that mean again? Um, It's like, hey, look out for this guy. Isn't it an APB? Oh, APB. Is it APB? Yeah, it is I'm only APB. going off the movies. I honestly just took a guess. I don't know. It's probably APB, EPB. I don't know. It's a B. It's a P. It's a vowel. It's yeah. a thing. It would so, be better if it was ABP, always be prepared. Mm, always, or ABL, always be looking. Yeah. So they are aware. They're looking out for Randall Lee Smith because he's in the truck. Um, they A patrolman eventually catches up to him. Smith crashes the truck, and they get him restrained at gunpoint. Smith is basically like, oh, I shot those two guys in self-defense. And they're like, bullshit. That's ridiculous. So so, Rick, so Ricky Williams, Randall Smith. Yeah, same person. They catch him. Mm-hmm, they catch him. He actually sustains a brain injury from the crash, gets a blood clot that eventually moves to his heart, and he ends up dying in prison a few days later. Good. Mm-hmm. So he Where he should have died twenty years ago. Right? So he murdered two people in eighty one, just like a mile and a half from where he attacked these two men. So he literally went back to the same place and Damn. tried to do the exact same thing. Twenty seven years later. Yes. And he only got fifteen years in jail, which is crazy. I wonder if he killed anyone else in the meantime and was never pinned to it. So that is a really good question. Um there are only like eight known murders on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia, I think. So it's unlikely. Well, so they can't pin any of that on him. But there's been a lot of people who have been missing. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It seems like he's pretty brutal in his attacks. Like he doesn't really have much of a game plan in terms of disposing of bodies. If he's just shooting people in the face. <laughs> right. Yeah, but- exactly. Yeah, I mean, who knows? He obviously sounds like a fucking psycho as well. So, well, the first people that he killed, they didn't find their bodies for a few weeks later. So it's possibly yeah. hit them. But one of the creepy things is that so he, I, I was wrong before. I said he was had been missing for six days. He had actually been out in the wilderness for like six weeks. Um, oh, okay. He had new, brand new, fancy camo and boots on. Which he obviously wouldn't have been able to afford, so we don't know where he got that. He Unless had he stole them off someone. Well, he had something like six pairs of eyeglasses, different eyeglasses. He had women's underwear. He had like all this random stuff on his person. He's a freak. So uh, we don't. And there's a bunch of people who have been missing on the Appalachian Trail who have just disappeared. So you know, we don't know if that is linked mm. or not. Yeah, so um, he also, there was some, he never gave a statement about why he did um, any of the crimes. But he so died. We don't know. So he died shortly afterwards, though. He died shortly after, and they found his journal, and there were, oh, he also was found with some Wiccan and Satanic literature on him. He just seems like a nutcase, like yeah. just in general. I mean, he's just a nutter. He had some creepy drawings, had some weird writing. In the uh, episode I watched, they, repeat this uh poem kind of thing when he's killing people which is so creepy which is one of the reasons i had to go downstairs and not be in the room alone okay uh and then they that was actually something from his journal that he had written 
All right, so he's a whack job. So he's a bit of a nut. But, yeah, but so in the end, Sean and Scott, they were fine? Sean and Scott were fine. They survived. Damn, and what a story for them. I mean, yeah. probably the last camping trip they'll do in a while. Mm-hmm. And on, Probably the last camping trip you'll do now after reading this story. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. We talked about doing a little traveling trip out to one of, like either Appalachian mm-hmm. or the um, Pacific Crest. Pacific Crest Trail. I know. You do want to say Pacific Crest Highway? No, I want to say Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, Pacific Coast Highway. But yeah, no, Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah. That would be awesome. But I would probably want to go like in the summer when it's packed with people. So there's no creepy a lot of people do it, yeah. murderers lurking around. Yeah, and definitely don't give your trout to anyone. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was a good story. That was a good, man. I mean, that was like a murder mystery travel camping. Wow. Yeah, it had a lot of elements. It had a lot of elements. They're, it's going to be tough for the Voyagers to choose. It's going to be tough when they ultimately choose that mine was better, but... Mm. Mm. I, I just wanted to wrap up no, by saying... Great, that was a great story. So was, Sean was on the episode of the show I watched, and he said that looking back, he thinks that he was used to take a bad person off this earth, and if he had to go through a little pain to make that happen, then he was on board with that. Which I thought was really that's a, nice. That's a pretty noble thing to say. And they also showed him in like different travel locations during his life. So he obviously kept traveling um, and he kept like going camping and whatnot. So I thought that was really nice. Yeah. That's a great story, man. That's, it's uh, definitely makes you think about camping and the people that you meet and just totally. the, or even just like anywhere when you're outside of your comfort zone or when you're traveling and the random people you meet and you really don't know anything about them yeah exactly and you're out there you have no cell service people have guns like i don't want to scare anybody well nobody's going camping right now because everybody's indoors Hmm. but it is you do put yourself in a little bit of a precarious situation but you just have to have your wits about you i guess yeah well we've always felt like that in our van Mm -hmm. that you know when we pull up to these places that are kind of isolated sometimes and sometimes we're trying to boondock as they call it which is I never really understood what that it means. Like, what does boondocking mean again? It means when you're just like, you're just parking somewhere, I think. I think so, yeah. But we always feel a little bit safer because our van looks like we would be the murderers. That's true. As opposed to the murderees. So we always <laughs> feel like a little bit more safe in knowing that when somebody pulls up and sees our van, they probably think, those people are going to shoot me in the face and the neck. Yes. As opposed to, I should shoot those people in the face and the neck. That's exactly right. And they swerve away and then they're never to be seen again. Yes. Not and we're because fine. we murdered them, but just because they left. Yeah. We, uh, let me just say, we have not murdered anybody. Uh, we are just saying that our van is very murder deterrent. Yes, it is. And that's why we bought it. That's why we bought it. <laughs> Keep it creepy. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that was good. Um, that's. I think that's it then. We're wrapping that's up. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I guess we have to spend this, the last part of the show, just wrapping up. I forgot to mention, we didn't do this earlier because we just wanted, we were just so excited to get into our episodes. But we did talk about last week that we have a Patreon page launched. It is patreon.com slash not so bon voyage. You can see the link in the episode description. And we are, we're not asking for support but if you want to support us you can we have some very exclusive extras there there's already a bonus episode up there right now Ooh. and we've already had a couple of patrons sign on so far so we need to give a shout out to luke sausage legs 
for being our very first patron and supporting the show. Thank you very much for being a official Voyager and helping support the Not So Bon Voyage podcast. Thank you, Sausage Legs. <laughs> <laughs> that is a self-appointed nickname. We are not calling him Sausage Legs. Yeah. We know him. So We don't you. think he has fat legs, but yeah. he does. Well, it's legs. mostly his ankles, actually. Oh, okay. I yeah. never understood that. So what, he has cankles? Well, it's just it doesn't. There's not really a lot of definition. It doesn't really change between the calf and the ankle, so it kind of just like goes straight down, like like a sausage. Ah, oh, so he doesn't have chiseled ankles. Uh, yeah, or calves. It's mm. just like one consistent. Uh, it's like a not, trunk. Yeah, it's like a trunk. Okay. Yeah, but thank you. We love you, and thank you for supporting the show. <laughs> and we're gonna jump out of here. I will just say that we have uh, we are recording these in video now. So if you haven't checked out our Instagram. Not so bon voyage on Instagram. We are putting up video clips of the episode. So if you've just been listening and you wonder, you think to yourself, I wonder what those guys look like. Well, you can find out. If you follow us on Instagram, you'll find out. There's going to be little video clips throughout the episode um, that we're going to put up there, highlights and things like that. So check those out. And we also, well, I mean, we can't we can't reveal too many secrets. We have some awesome stuff coming up in the works. So make sure you follow Stay along. Tuned. Stay tuned. Is that it, Christine? Are we out of here? I think that's it. It's Friday night. We're going to go have a drink and indoors and do that. We're going to do some online party of some sorts and we're going to drink a shitload of White Claws. So remember, guys, stay safe while at home. And if you're not, make sure you tell us about it. Peace. Bye, bitches. Bye.